0: All right, everybody, you're listening to the Dadpreneur Podcast, and each and every week, I bring you business leaders, tech professionals, but people who are doing big things and and are living their life on their own terms. Today, we have Indiana, also known as Indy, from the UK, but she's in Spain right now, and she's got this great company, a real startup in the fintech uh, world uh, called WeDo. We're going to talk about that later in the podcast. But first, I want to introduce her. She's got a great story, a great career. She's got three kids grown. I'll let her tell you all about that. But what I'm really interested to learn from her, as I think many of our listeners are, is early on, how did she get started? Was she in tech first or a different career and then pivoted? So without further ado, I want to welcome you to the podcast, Indy.
1: Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
0: You're welcome. Yeah, so tell us early days. Like how did, I know you weren't in tech first. You were a musician,
1: is that correct? Um, hmm, which came first, the chicken or the egg? I, <laughs> I started my career in tech uh, and I went into music when, um, you know, my kids were really very small. Um, you know, I had a, a bit of a, a, a divorce and uh, so I took my kids uh on tour with me and decided to become I decided to become a musician and and got a record deal just like any mom with young children would do you know (laughs) yeah that sounds that sounds
0: like the likely choice there and tell us what type of music did you were you singing were you playing instrument talk to us I was I was
1: this I was singer songwriter I'd written some songs I was really trying to pitch my songs my intention wasn't necessarily to perform them as well uh, but I ended up getting a record deal and uh, I got to go on tour and I got to, uh, you know, publish an album and do lots of, of fun things cool. and bring my kids along with me. Um, and then I, I went back into tech shortly after that because there was a big gap in um, the music industry where um, really the the birth of the MTP3 and piracy Uh, There'd be a hole in the market and so started a streaming and downloading service really in the early days. Uh, We're talking before before Spotify or, you know, Apple Music or any of those services. Um, And that's kind of, that was my first really big tech platform that we built we built that up to about 14 and a half million users so
0: wow that's impressive yeah the the music industry definitely i think that that in tech early days like when i was in college we had napster so that's uh, 1999 2000 and Mm -hmm. so when i tell my kids these days that we 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 had to like you know just download it that way not pay for it artists weren't getting paid and then there was that sort of that evolution where here's where we are today with Spotify and others, but which is great for podcasters as well. Right.
1: Absolutely. Yeah.
0: But you get to monetize and 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 uh, be able to entertain people. So, OK, so I thought you had started in music first, but so go before tech. Then were you <laughs> w- when you were growing up, were you doing music already?
1: Yeah, I was. And I was also doing tech. Um, as a young kid, I had a speech impediment, um, and I had a stutter, and I I had to see a, you know, what do you call them, orthophonists, the people mm-hmm. that sort out your your talking issues, and I spoke out mm-hmm. the side of my mouth, and uh, that was around six seven years. Um, I had to kind of fight this problem I had with um with speaking, mm-hmm. and and I, I overcame it. I think and music helped me, and that was one of the things my speech therapist had encouraged is that I'd go home and write a song make sure there's lots of s's in it because i got that side of my mouth you know i sounded a little bit like sylvester the cat probably and um yeah that was kind of part of my life um wasn't my main unique interest but was something that probably relaxed me or chilled me like you know i could evacuate emotions as a teenager and as a young child uh, through music
0: Yeah. And I think that um, tech also, I know a lot of kids who I mentor who choose tech for that reason, right? Like they're, they're trying to work out their issues. And when they get into coding, they get lost in it, you know, Mm -hmm. and it's really, really beautiful to see that. So, you know, fast forward a little bit after your tours and you came back home and you said, I'm getting back into tech. I'm a, sounds like at that point you were a single mom, um, raising, your kids and trying to be in the tech world. What was that like for you? Because I know the tech world hasn't always been friendly to women.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was my own startup. So I wasn't trying to get a job or anything. You know, I was in charge of my destiny. Um and I've kind of lived my life a little bit that way. I've never been kind of that nine to five job person. And that's just allowed me freedom, flexibility, time to spend with my family and to kind of organize my life on my own terms. Mm-hmm. Um and I just Yeah. I guess I've always been like that. Um, You know, I had a couple jobs at university when I was a student, but other than that, I don't really do jobs. Um, (laughs) I like to create. And I think, you know, creative minds, people who are innovative, uh, we're all similar in that we want to do something that makes an impact and and does, you know, helps people. Um, Mm -hmm. Fundamentally, that's kind of the pattern that is the pattern throughout my life, I suppose, that Uh, I wanted to develop things that either change people's lives or enhance their lives or made things better. Um, And you can't do that as easily if you're employed.
0: (laughs) It's true. You could have a side hustle, but you can't get into it all the way if you're not there. So talk to us about your kids. I mean, I'm sure if I'm thinking, if I'm sitting in there, like looking at it from their perspective, living with a mom who was doing music and then you went on tour, came back, doing the tech thing, you're a leader, entrepreneur, you wear all these different hats. How do you think that has benefited them?
1: I think that they've had opportunities to learn multiple language. They each speak five or six languages. Oh, nice. They've learned a lot about entrepreneurship and Mm -hmm. learned about having some grit and hard work. And they, you know, they were part of those startups. They were part of those businesses. One of our businesses, they like lined up all their friends and they helped pack uh, goods and things, you know, um, when we were doing a, a business, a beauty, a beauty business that was uh, selling all over the world. So they've learned a lot, I think, and they all have kind of an inner autonomy mm-hmm. that maybe they wouldn't have had if they thought that their mission of life was to just, not, not just, but, you know, was they only had the option of getting a job, which is the kind right. of way that a lot of kids have been funneled through a system. It's, you know, you start, you go to school, you fun, you're you funneled through this system, everyone stays, you know, organized, and then they, the, the objective is to find a job. Um, and I think they had the advantage of seeing a different side of of that, you know
0: yeah I have to agree with you absolutely I mean for me I grew up with parents who were entrepreneurs but later in life you know worked for companies for 20 years and did their own thing when we came to the U.S. from Brazil as immigrants and I saw them build a multi-million dollar company and um I think what I learned from that which I'm sure your kids and many of our listeners here who grew up around this can attest to it is I think you 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 learn that hard work isn't actually scary right so I think (laughs) like from an early age that fear of starting my own thing and being responsible for my destiny was not at all scary. Whereas when I talk to other people who are really talented and they're working for some big corporation and they tell me, Alex, I want to start, you know, I've listened to this episode. I I'm inspired, but, uh, oh, I feel scared. I don't want to start. What if I lose everything? I can't, mm-hmm. I never had that fear, you know? Um, and so I think that may, that might be one of the things that I think growing around if, uh, an entrepreneur parent is, is one of those things that you, you just don't have the same, uh, fear of hard work and, and taking risks. Would you agree?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, for me, the riskiest thing that you can do is have a job and rely on someone else for the way you, way you live your life or manage mm-hmm. your day. Um, that's a that's a big risk i say that of course but we we employ people and sure. they do that but they're part of the party they're part of the show i think traditional jobs where you're just it's almost like you're just a number in really big corporations a lot of people think that that's not risky i i seem to think it is if some if you know elon Musk just went into twitter didn't he and he just laid off a a massive amount of the workforce you're at the hands of of someone who you know or of an organization that, you know, where you're disposable. And I think that the future, especially for millennials who, you know, represent what 44% of the workforce right now, um, that that the future really is that they'll be um, managing a big part of their own life as entrepreneurs, as solopreneurs, as side hustlers. And eventually I think that's going to bring out a lot more small businesses and, and hopefully more technology and innovation and maybe even big businesses. But I think that the the road to the future for that age group is mm-hmm. certainly not going to be go to a 95 and do that the rest of your life. You know, completely different uh, situation with fast moving technology and the way the world, the future of work is changing so much. So I think that it's pretty exciting for that age group, for that demographic
0: yeah it's pretty true i mean i agree i i I read uh early today that uh so because every day elon musk is in the news getting sort of uh, (laughs) really really annoying right like how can i read one story without but anyways he, he yet again he went into twitter today and said to all the the remaining employees like either you're all in right like extreme like loyalty you are here all the time and that's all you do is twitter nothing else no side hustles no life passions, nothing, which is the craziest thing to me. I mean, you sound like a dictator. It doesn't sound like a, a, you know, a good leader to me. Um, but you know, some people are going to stay out of fear instead of going somewhere where they could have a life, because I would never be somewhere where someone told me that my first, uh, priority is my family. It's my health. It's my travels. I mean, I've got at least a handful of things in life before I reach a business and clients now i could be just as passionate and work just as hard in my business and for my clients but um i can't make that the only thing in my life and i think um employers or leaders like musk who want that from from their workers is exactly the problem and i so agree with you which i think that's where the app comes in to place we do so i want to talk a little bit about the app and how what you just said a minute ago about the future you know Gen Z and even some of the younger Millennials. I mean, that's the that that's what they want, right? They want the yeah. autonomy to work independently. They're creators. They've grown up around technology, right?
1: Mm-hmm. I, you know, I think um, in in Elon Musk's defense, or any any big creator or innovator like him, or um, you know, including Steve Jobs or any of the the icons that have come through. Um, in fairness, I think what he means is. You need to be 100% dedicated and passionate. I think that can be misconstrued as dictator land, but who knows to each, you know, and there are, you know, companies that you've got somebody who rules and has, has their employees under their thumb. Um, So it's hard for me to believe that that's the real story, but maybe it is. Normally innovators are just, they're like, okay you need to be all in. You need to be passionate about this. Mm-hmm. You need to really show me that you love this uh, because otherwise I'm not going to get, you know, and you're not going to get the magic that we're looking mm-hmm. for, you know? And I think there's something to be said about that. If you're going to do a job and, and you're working for someone else, you better love it because you're spending a hell of a lot of time doing it. Yeah. Where we fit in in the future of work is allowing people that freedom and flexibility. So we do is, the world's first social freelance network. We are a, uh, a a work suite of tools that allow you to take a client from anywhere in the world and you can be anywhere in the world yourself and to take them through um, onboarding them, doing a video call with them, taking an instant payment on that call, setting up your contract on that call, um, building a community around a product or service, and we also provide the payments side of that, and um, the community building side of it, as well as um, a neo banking uh, application where you can manage your expenses as a freelancer, or as a small business, or as a big business, and and grow teams around it. And the way we're different uh, from, well, first of all, the way we're different from a social network. If you think of LinkedIn, LinkedIn's really for business. Mm-hmm. Um, Facebook and Instagram are really for you know, social or product oriented more than they are service oriented. You don't really perform a service on those applications. And so we sit in a space where we're a social network that allows you to really serve your client as a freelancer or as a, you know, a digital nomad, for example. And second difference is we don't take any commission. So if you compared us with Upwork or Fiverr or People Per Hour, any of the legacy kind of platforms uh, that were great when they first disrupted you know, the, the old prior to internet, like, you know, way people worked, um, we differentiate because we don't take commissions. So, whereas, uh, say Upwork will take 20% on the first $500 you make per client. Um, we don't take any commissions. Um, we have a SaaS model. People can upgrade, um, and have perks about, you know, fill out their portfolio and make, um, you know, could have a nicer user experience, uh, to an extent, but, uh, we just make money and we don't make money selling your, your assets or your digital footprint or your privacy to advertisers either. Um, we make money simply by, uh, a a 3%, um, payments processing mm-hmm. on the client side, or your client pays and, and the other, the other platforms do that as well. And, um, on our FX. so if you're dealing in multiple currencies, maybe you've hired or you are based in India so' you're, you're in rupees and you're converting to the dollar or vice versa um, and then we make money when we issue a debit card on the interchange uh, through MasterCard um, in our program with our mm-hmm. with our bass provider, our banking provider. So um our model is completely different. We're not we're not trying to be a fat middleman at all. And we're not uh, in the business of uh, taking high commissions at all. And we're we're really in the business of, of empowering people with massively cool tools that they can just take in their pocket and use. You know, so it's it's pretty exciting.
0: It 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 does sound, and I'm familiar with all the platforms that you've mentioned. Most of our listeners m- mention that they use all those platforms all the time, and. I agree with you, especially with a company like Upwork, you know, the, you feel like there's a lot of freelancers there who they, once they get in there and they build up a portfolio of sort of repeat customers, they can't really go off of the platform. You know, Mm -hmm. things are heavily monitored. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and so there's checks and balances so that the company can keep on making money. And, and that's Mm -hmm. their model. I'm not saying it's good or bad, but I think what you're talking about, um, For those who are not familiar with these platforms, I think you're uh, you're giving the creator the ability and freedom to do it to to really run their business. And then you're giving them all these tools. What I really like about we do when I was uh, testing the app was that community that you're talking about. So there's that social sort of LinkedIn feel to it where I can connect with people and bring them together, which I think is very helpful because. It's one thing to send a, a new client who maybe you're in the process of signing a contract with mm-hmm. and send them to like LinkedIn or Facebook so they can see your reviews or maybe what a client said. But to have mm-hmm. that all in one place, I, I would imagine that the conversion rate for your, let's say, leads coming through would be higher
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: than if you have to send them here, there, and the other, you know?
1: So. Yeah. And there's also no worry about circumvention. I mean, one of the things that some of the other platforms do is they penalize you if you want to have a phone call with your client. You know, they're like, don't go off our app. You know, that's. And, and the point is, you know, f- in order to serve a client well, it's great to get to know them, understand the problem that you're solving for them, no matter what that is, how you can, you know, create something for them that really, you know, hits the mark. Um, And and you have to do that through communication. And so uh, applications and platforms or marketplaces that limit communication kind of worry me, you know,
0: Um, and then
1: the second thing is uh, freelancers often work by themselves. And so it's a lonely, um, a lonely atmosphere. And part of the problems for them are the part of things that, you know, would, would be beneficial for them is to really get to know other people who work within their vertical so that there's kind of a fear of missing out there right if you're not working for say a design agency and you're a designer you know you're missing out on maybe all the stuff that's new and upcoming and you get that from collaborating with colleagues uh, in a workplace not necessarily as a freelancer but if you can mix with a lot of other freelancers who are in your vertical Learn so much, you can collaborate, you can help clients even more, you can ask for advice. So, maybe from people who have more experience than you, or help or mentor others. And I think that's pretty powerful uh, when you're working as a solopreneur or a small business to have access to that kind of community as well.
0: That makes sense. I I also think that in the way you guys are different, and I'm specifically thinking of a few music uh, marketplaces that mm-hmm. I've had clients who spend quite a bit of money to generate leads from like uh gig salad, um, mm-hmm. gig, gig master. Um, so uh, uh, jazz musicians, you name it, right? DJs, wedding planners, whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, and they pay quite a bit of money for the lead on that platform. And okay, so that's great. But what I've always been a fan of indie is really your own media. So the idea of never social first, right? Just always bring people to my website first. For my clients, I do the same. I say, yes, you have to do social. Yes, you have to do email, you have to do all those things, video. Mm-hmm. But you want people to come to your website first. And then you you can protect their data that way and you can give them the best experience with the least amount of friction. To me, it sounds like with WeDo, I would be able to use the software, this SaaS platform to empower my own content right so like i have my content here now i can just bring them here and perhaps for those musicians out there they 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 may say you know what now i can do end to end in one place and Mm -hmm. then i'll still maybe like run ads pay you know some marketer to run ads for me but do that whole transaction there because when when you have to go through marketplaces it it dilutes the, the, the relationship in such yeah. a huge way. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the point marketplaces aren't going to go away. I actually wrote a book where I lay out, um, I think 200 plus marketplaces in every industry you can imagine around mm-hmm. the globe. Right. And mm-hmm. most of the big marketplaces are owned by a, a half, uh, half a dozen companies Yeah, you know? like internet brands is one. And mm-hmm. so, you know. It's it's not good for the buyer and it's definitely not good for the creator. So I love what you're doing to be basically empower that creator with this extra yeah. tool.
1: The idea, whether you're a creator or a business on either side, you want to build community and you want to have I don't want to use the word ownership, but like a sense of ownership of this is my community. I've built that if I needed to take them away and move them somewhere else, I could do that, which a lot of social media limits you uh, from doing. With the idea we do is that you can actually build your community, you have access to um, their phone numbers, because you're interacting them, with them through through phone numbers, so you have access to, to that, and you have um, unlimited access. So if you wanted to start, um, like, for example, uh, let's say you're doing a call on Zoom, when you leave that call on Zoom, you may have a thousand people on that call on Zoom, you may have invited them through maybe Eventbrite or something else but ultimately that connection at the end of that Zoom call is gone until you set up the next one. So you're moving from different platforms. You're maybe using email Mm -hmm. or Eventbrite or something else to continue that communication. Whereas with WeDo, you can have that communication. Mm -hmm. You can move them and send them emails or SMSs or whatever, but within the platform, you still have that communication thread. You can keep, keep communicating them, turn that back on, bring them back add more people, build a community around that and create groups um, and that, that way. But keep them all in one place. So when you are trying to monetize uh, or maybe test a new item that you've, you know, maybe you've written a new book, a new ebook on how to do something, right? You can test that on a segment of your of your market and then continue to to test, you know, what's working for me, what's not working for me and monetize without the pain of heavy commissions um if right. that i think that's what the world needs they don't need more middle fat men marketplace type type vibes um in a world where over half the global workforce is going into freelance and side hustles
0: um, absolutely i you know i i almost feel like you could really uh, obviously you're tra- you're you're taking payments there so I, a lot of the crypto guys would say your p- platform isn't decentralized but i really mm-hmm. feel like everything that we're talking about here and giving that to the business owner helps decentralize some of that in a in a big way, right.
1: You can use crypto payments and de- and, be, and use a decentralized system and still uh, and still monetize as a platform. I mean okay. obviously platforms have to make money and one way or the other. but um, in our system, uh, especially moving into web 3 scenario and even with blockchain or crypto payments um, added on, um you still you still need to, to create a space that isn't isn't eating into half the global economy, right? in such a huge way. I mean 10, 20 percent is huge commission wise. And it's always it passed on to the end client. And what does that do? right, right. Just, It's a vicious cycle. <laughs> um, and, and that has that can't happen. And the penal it's like penalizing people for being entrepreneurial if you think about it, because if you're a freelancer, you have to pay taxes, you're paying this commission, you know, nobody's, nobody's asking employees to give up 20% of their income to the man, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, before tax, um, well, and yeah, I think it just needs to happen. So.
0: Well, and, and to that point, um, that's, that's why I'm not a big fan of Amazon for that reason. Um, my marketing company, when people come to me and say, I have a great new product, let's say it's a lifestyle product mm-hmm. um they great and they want to do amazon i'm like okay so that's not a business i mean you could call it a business all day but amazon owns you they're just it's the opposite they're giving you a commission a commission on what you're selling on there you think it's a business and i personally have had clients who have lost half their sales overnight because of a series of changes that amazon makes and then they're going Oh my god there goes my revenue and i'm going we always talked about doing your like most of your sales on your website first you never Mm -hmm. wanted to do that because it costs more to do that in marketing so you have to, to depend on amazon and shipping fbo and whatnot and that's great for like a startup but once you grow you want to be independent and so you look at companies like patagonia or nike and many others who left amazon For that reason, because they 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 saw the writing on the wall, right? That if you're selling your product on Amazon, it's more of a partnership with Amazon, which there's nothing wrong with that, right? But they have total control of the customer.
1: Yeah, see, that's that's wrong. If you if you've built if you built a customer, you've driven traffic, you've created that that should be yours. Yeah. To you know, you could you should be able to be able to move if. If Amazon's not treating you right, you pick it up and go to the next place. Mm-hmm. Just as if you were renting a space in a shopping mall. If you think about it, right? it doesn't work out. You, you go somewhere else.
0: That's right. Yeah. So- and it's all, it, it's all driven by algorithms, right? Like I had mm-hmm. one client who had a series of bad reviews because UPS shipping broke the product. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the consumer gets the product and then puts up a, a bad review even though they're getting a replacement at no cost, Amazon mm-hmm. systems, the the AI then just says, you know what? You got too many bad reviews in one day where yeah. you're going to go down here. Now their sales are like half the, the the amount on a daily basis until they can sort of prove that, Hey, this was a, a very like isolated occurrence.
1: Mm-hmm. And I
0: said, look, this is the problem. They, they, they own you and so to your example about uh, you know a, a space in the mall or something like that imagine if you had an irate customer who didn't have a good experience and then the next day you come in and your store's been moved to the back
1: mm. even though
0: you you've been there for years so I, I don't
1: and i think yeah, see the rating system online isn't very fair because you can get easily sabotaged by maybe a competitor or other other things it and happens the reality is if you want to if you really want to Okay so in our system for example we have KYC and KYB what is that that's mm-hmm. know your customer so um when someone signs up to we do they have to present you know proof that they are who they say they are mm-hmm. so that there aren't any scammers on the site nor business nor a freelancer you know mm-hmm. uh, so that's very important secondly um the idea of a ranking system or rating Anybody can go and say, "Hey, can you give me five stars?" You know, I'll do a job for you, la da da. Like, and they build that up. It comes out to be quite fake. What I think really is more valuable is how often a customer comes back to you. Did they rehire you after you did the first step? You know, and 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 seeing that um, repeat customer kind of scenario is a better way to track whether or not somebody's legit. When you go to someone's website, um, there's always an issue of trust. Building trust on social media is, is is something that people actually do. They go, if if I, you know, say you're doing a product, selling me a product or service, Alex, I'd probably go to your website I go, oh, this looks pretty cool. First thing I do is Google you. Yep. I'd be on your LinkedIn, might check out your Instagram, uh, might check out even Twitter, depending on what type of service, you know, I'm going to go to certain places and say, hmm, I wonder, wonder if he is... You know what he's talking about. What kind of credibility does he have? So social media is good for that, um, and and then you want to build trust. You know when you're bringing them back through to your website or to to a platform like we do, um, and I think that's that's fundamental for everyone. Um, just earning your clients' trust, and then from your side with your clients or your or the community that you build wherever you build it is that repeatability, the consistency of who you are right? And uh, your reputation with other clients. So yeah, like customer recommendations are much better than just a plain ranking system, a video of someone really saying that i would had a great experience with, with Alex, right. is gonna get way farther, further, you know, a real person that can be contacted and, you know, vouch for you kind of thing. I think is pretty yeah. powerful.
0: Yeah, it's it's true. Those clients that uh, I've worked with over the last decade, who sometimes their product is so good that you actually have to have a a purse in someone's job description, you'll monitor the entire web for videos for anything, because there are so many great reviews. Like I have Mm -hmm. one client that on a weekly basis, he gets three, four video posts to YouTube, not to his channel, just people's channel saying I tried this product. I love it. He doesn't know who they are. He didn't pay them. It's not an influencer. It's not you know nothing like that. And yeah. of course, you know they tag them and whatnot, and you say thank you for doing that. But people are like raving fans, and I'm yeah. like, what you have is gold. And so each time they try to sort of every iteration of the product, they're talking to the customers though.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and so I think that, that they, they can't ignore you and and treat treat your customers like they're you know like they're diamonds. And I think those two. C- two things get you pretty far. Uh, They definitely do. And I love
0: that you have that incorporated into your platform, the, the communication piece of it, because so many social media platforms, you know, in this sort of next web three, where we're going, maybe Mm -hmm. it'll take a while to get there. It it feels like there's this big gap, like they, they want us to just jump from, let's say messenger or chat to all of a sudden we're just going to have avatars and sit in the same room
1: <laughs> that's a big jump <laughs> and how and how it do you do that type of person to to want to do that Um yeah and so so
0: ta- speaking of that so we're talking about web3 here what kind of technology because you've been in the field for so long what kind of technology are you excited about for small business owners You're you're excited about we do i get it fintech but what else like if you had to give give advice to our listeners who are entrepreneurs and have their sort of like marketing and tech stack to run their business like what technology should small business owners be using other than payments and social
1: in in a web three world or in the current
0: in in in, in any world and as a matter of fact since
1: we're on that topic i mean tell me if they should even care about web three at this point (laughs) i sadly i don't think very many people do and there there's going to be a lot of evolution there um everyone has a different idea of what a metaverse is it seems like so um we got a little ways to go uh, and it's not just avatars it's actually um a, a change in the way uh, we deal with data and, and privacy on the web too that's a big part of this um, and i think that's very very critical to get right um for for the future of human beings in general, a uh, society in general. And um, especially after what we've gone through recently, you know, with the whole bout of fake news and fake covid tests. But and this but, and, you know, but can but but here's the thing. And but here's the thing, Indy,
0: can't can we trust big tech? Who are the ones who screwed it up to begin with?
1: Well, that's this is the point, right? So the whole the whole kind of concept be, behind decentralization Uh, for the web and changing the way our privacy is our privacy is dealt with you know not just with gdpr or Mm. um that kind of regulation uh, in government but but also in the way our data is used um to manipulate us as human beings that what be that an election be that um the misinformation be that with the way we're being approached by Brands and ads, um, and that data uh, isn't empowering our own selves. Even though we're creating it, it's being used by the big tech. And of course, I don't believe anybody should trust big tech uh, because until that becomes the reality, protection of your data and you have ownership of your data. And um, I don't think anyone should trust anybody with your mm-hmm. data. Right? You want to be able to protect that as much as possible and and you know that's really fundamental to how we will move forward as societies in the future i think and i think that's that's why if web3 takes a little bit longer none of us should be sweating it you know because the the point is to really figure it out the right way exactly Um, yeah but you know what, what what am i excited about currently uh that's that exists i think that there's a ton of innovation, uh, especially in in payment space. I think there's a ton of innovation in, in data privacy. And I think that, you know, it is kind of exciting to to go into a world where potentially we may in the future be able to hold a meeting together as holograms and be on a holodeck and hang out even though you're in Japan and, you know, I'm in San Francisco or, or whatever. I think that's really exciting. Um, I think we need to see what happens in the world of climate tech because some of the innovation there is certainly exciting obviously going to Mars and things like that probably excites a lot of people I'm just hoping we can sort out our planet before we start messing up another one um but yeah there's there's too much to be excited about um but primarily what I hope for is to be able to make impact in the in the future of work and the way we work uh, so that Whatever we're excited about, we can do in real time, anywhere, anytime, on our own terms, and um, with protection of our privacy, and, and that ease of ease of use. Um, I think life's going to get easier for humans, believe it or not. We're going to have a little bit of a stretch here with the the oncoming recession. You know, that everyone's shouting doom and gloom about, but <laughs> I think once we get over that, there, there's going to be a lot of changes for the positive for people. And, and, and I think, uh, life, no doubt has been getting easier and easier for humans in the last hundred years. You know, we got past the industrial revolution and now most people, um, the, the poverty line has changed. So there's, there's a lot more, um, there's a lot more love to spread in the world than what, what a lot of people, um, want to believe actually. And I think it's going to get better. Um, that's what I'm excited about
0: well i love it i mean i i I don't want to go any further because it's such a a a positive way for us to end today's episode because it is it's optimistic and i love it that's my feeling i know that there are challenges in the world i'm with you i'm i i do not you know i i love history so I, i i do look at history and go these things could happen again and actually in the recent years many of The things that have been happening have happened in the past. And there are many people on the other side that are trying to make sure, right? Like, we just had an election in Brazil and I'm a dual citizen. So I got to vote in the Brazilian election. And I, I, I'm a believer in science and in the environment. And so when I looked at the president down there, it was like, I could almost ignore the, all the other issues, social issues, and just stick to the fact that he was burning, allowing farmers (laughs) to burn down the Amazon, which without the Amazon, the rest of the world is screwed. That's not me because I'm not a scientist, but scientists who've studied this have told us this. And and if you if you think that's fake, then I can't even talk to you because then you don't believe in science. You probably even shouldn't fly in an airplane or drive a car or use the Internet.
1: It's not around anymore, right? If someone's saying something similar to that. Yeah. And I and I've had those conversations
0: with people on the, the podcast here. And of course, you know, usually it's offline, but where they're pushing on this like fake news story that they read. And I go back to it the same way I approach it with my kids, with our homeschool, which is when we read anything, any kind of subject matter, I need to know who created that. Who's the author? What's their credibility? Like, because if if not, don't come tell me that you found this on some crazy website that has no expertise in a bunch of fake people Mm -hmm. i don't care about the story i need to know who wrote it what's their motive right
1: Mm -hmm.
0: um but but um other than that i think that there is a change and i think what you're talking about the optimism about um people becoming their sort of owning their their time and and doing good in the world and i think your your app your startup here is helping do that in a big way so it was great getting to know you on the podcast What's the best way for our listeners to reach you or get to know you?
1: Well, of course, download WeDo, the app, uh, W-E-D-O, just like the sign behind me. Um, WeDo.ai is our our website if you want to learn a bit more about us. And, of course, my name's Indiana Gregg, and it's uh, there aren't very many Indiana Greggs in the world, so I'm pretty defined. <laughs> hey, hey, hey.
0: It, it, <laughs> yeah and so before we let everybody go like i i do love when people have interesting names M- my son one of my sons his name is phoenix so it's a, you know, a city uh mm-hmm. yours is a state here in the u.s indiana now have you ever been to indiana no
1: yeah i was born there
0: oh that makes sense okay now there's a there's a good meaning there i thought you were gonna say no mom and dad would were they were <laughs> in the uk and they just kind of liked indiana that would make it a, <laughs> uh, such a hot story but that mm-hmm. makes it good All right, Indy. Well, thank you so much for being on a podcast today.
1: Thanks for having me, Alex. Great to be here.